Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper today. And we start with breaking news in our 2020 lead. Moments ago, President-elect Joe Biden delivered a Thanksgiving address designed to appeal to American sense of patriotism, calling on the country to unite in the face of a deadly pandemic. Biden acknowledged deep divisions, but urged Americans to fight the virus, not each other. We don't talk much about love in our politics. The political, the political reign is too loud, too angry, too heated. To love our neighbor as ourselves is a radical act. It is what we're called to do. We must try. Speaking in Delaware there, the president-elect also issued an urgent plea, saying now is the time to buckle down to get this coronavirus under control. He said life would return to normal at some point, but he urged people not to give in to COVID fatigue. He promised on day one of his presidency to change the course of the virus with more testing, expanded contact tracing, and new guidance for keeping schools and business open. At almost the exact same time, President Trump continued to deny reality. He phoned in to an event with Pennsylvania Republicans and spewed false claims about a rigged election and massive voter fraud. But Trump's failure to accept reality isn't stopping the Biden team from meeting with the current administration's top health officials today, as CNN's MJ Lee reports. America's not going to lose this war. We'll get our lives back. President-elect Joe Biden sharing a Thanksgiving message with the nation on Wednesday. I know that this time of year can be especially difficult. Believe me, I know. I remember that first Thanksgiving, the empty chair, the silence. Takes your breath away. It's really hard to care. It's hard to give thanks. It's hard to even think of looking forward. It's so hard to hope. I understand. Speaking from Wilmington, Delaware, Biden discussing the sacrifices Americans are making as coronavirus cases surge across the country. We fought a nearly year-long battle with a virus that has devastated this nation. It's brought us pain and loss and frustration. And it's cost so many lives. We need to remember we're at war with the virus, not with one another, not with each other. This is the moment where we need to steal our spines, redouble our efforts, and recommit ourselves to the fight. 
The Biden transition team announcing Biden will receive his first presidential daily briefing since becoming president-elect on Monday. We're working with DNI and the White House on the president-elect and vice president-elect receiving the PDB. The former vice president also preparing to announce some members of his economic team next week. Biden expected to nominate former Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen as his Treasury Secretary. Biden insisting that as he builds out his administration, a major focus will be bridging political divisions across the country. The purpose of our administration is once again reunited. We can't keep this virulent political dialogue going. It has to end. Every move from Biden and his transition team seeming designed to draw stark contrast to President Trump. Biden's transition team receiving briefings on everything from vaccine distribution, testing and PPE supply chains. Now, this is obviously going to be such an unusual and tough holiday season for so many Americans, Pam. And Biden saying this afternoon that his family is no exception. Usually uh, he will travel out of state to get together for a big family get together. He says this week he is going to be staying back behind here in Delaware for a very small family gathering instead. Pam. All right, MJ Lee, thank you so much for that. And as Joe Biden tries to strike his new presidential tone, President Trump is pushing a message of defiance. He's making his case on speakerphone to hear to Pennsylvania Republicans. He let Rudy Giuliani lead the legal sideshow in person, but not in court or even at the state capitol, but instead at a hotel, as CNN's Jeremy Diamond reports. This is Trump. As Americans brace for the surging pandemic to collide with Thanksgiving, President Trump remains focused on attacking the integrity of the election he lost. While the incoming president urges caution, the current president once again abdicating leadership at a critical time. Silent about the pandemic while shouting on Twitter about the rigged election that wasn't and insisting 2020 is a long way from over. It was an abridged version of the PR stunt Trump was planning today in Pennsylvania with his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, where Republican state senators held an event to hype up voter fraud claims. Just one day after the Commonwealth certified the election and after judges dismissed lawsuits alleging widespread voter fraud. Trump canceled his trip after campaign advisor Boris Epstein, seen here with Giuliani just six days ago, tested positive. Giuliani walked right into the crowded event today in defiance of CDC quarantine guidelines and began spreading misinformation and maybe more. I know crooks really well. You give them an inch and they take a mile and you give them a mile and they take your whole country. But the president just couldn't stay away, calling in with more false claims. This election was rigged and we can't let that happen. We can't let it happen for our country. And this election has to be turned around because uh, we won Pennsylvania by a lot and we won all of these swing states by a lot. Trump is also starting to think about end of presidency pardons. Sources telling CNN a pardon for Trump's first national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI, is under consideration. Discussions have also centered on Paul Manafort and George Papadopoulos, two other targets of special counsel Robert Mueller. 
The president's uh, speakerphone remarks at that hearing uh, lasted about 10 minutes, Pam, and we heard the usual garden variety of lies, conspiracy theories, uh, and misinformation about the 2020 election. But we also heard a sitting U.S. president uh, say that he repeatedly say that he wanted to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Three weeks after millions of Americans went to the polls to exercise their right to vote, after his court cases have been tossed out of one court after the next, we heard President Trump repeatedly say, quote, we have to turn the election over. Pam. What a striking contact, uh, contrast to President-elect Biden celebrating democracy in his speech the day before Thanksgiving. Thanks so much, Jeremy Diamond. We appreciate it. So let's talk about all of this. Um, Jackie, I'm going to start with you. We also have Tolu joining us. The president-elect, as I just said, he talked about democracy. He talked about unity, prayer, and love. He quoted scripture. He mm-hmm. mentioned God. What was your takeaway? I mean, the speech seemed to have three very distinct parts, acknowledging the grief that Americans are feeling, um, whether they've lost someone, whether they're away from someone this holiday, in the middle, really telling people that they need to hold on and gird for the months ahead and not to stop uh, doing what they're doing to keep themselves safe. And then the end was this aspirational message, really telling people that better days are ahead. This is very much a reflection and consistent with what Biden was saying during the campaign. And I imagine what he will do as president. I mean, you had part coach, part priest, part motivational speaker. You you had Joe Biden today. And this was, I mean, just for context, though, Jack, I mean, this is what you would expect, right? Um, from a president it, 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 I mean, is, it is it is jarring in its normalcy for sure jarring in its normalcy that is a great way to put it um but it is of course it does stand in contrast to the, the president and even today with him calling into that event i'm going to get to that in just a moment but i, I first want to talk about how the president-elect personalized this to lou uh, he he talked about how he normally has a big family gathering and this year they aren't doing it he talked about the empty chairs for so many families who have la- lost loved ones and that he knows how that feels uh what stuck out to you yeah, the very stark contrast between the current president and the incoming president and how they are approaching uh, t- leveling with the American people about this virus. You had President-elect Biden essentially saying, I normally have a big family gathering and I know many of you would want to do that, but we have to uh, make some changes because we are in the middle of a pandemic that has killed so many thousands of Americans. And you have the, the contrast with President Trump, who has spent the last several months defying his own government's guidelines, holding big super spreader events, gathering people at the White House even on the night of the election, despite the fact that he himself had caught the virus, many people within his orbit have caught the virus. So there's a very stark contrast between uh, President-elect Biden trying to show good public policy and good public health guidelines and trying to embrace those in the way that he conducts himself, and President Trump essentially saying, don't follow my example, don't follow the example of my government, which says that everyone should be you know, avoiding travel and not gathering in big groups. And it's very clear that there's going to be a very different type of government come January 20th. Um, and President-elect Biden wanted to show that. All right. And, you know, you talk about the stark contrast. It's really symbolic, Jackie, in many ways of how um, divided this country is. Right. I mean, this is a divided country. Joe Biden talked about that. And he was very sort of optimistic about the future, talking about how we can all come together. There is still hope. But is there I mean, is that is that realistic for Joe Biden to think that? How is he going to bring this country together realistically? 
And that's an excellent question. I don't know that we know the answer to that, but we know that Joe Biden has said repeated, re repeatedly, both on the campaign trail and after he's won, that um, he's going to try. Uh, and not, not only, you know, with with uh, Republicans, mm -hmm. but with own his with within his own party. We've seen that with some of the cabinet picks that have been announced. Um, they seem to be pretty non-controversial. Not a lot of people, both on the left and the right, are terribly upset about them or speaking out, um, you know, as of yet. So uh, that governing from the center left, that's sort of what Joe Biden has pitched himself as. Um, and but whether that whether that, um, you know, I think healing the nation, um, that's going to take a while. This isn't something that's going to be a quick fix. All right. Thank you so much. We just actually have some breaking news coming in as you're talking there. Jackie, President Trump just announced on Twitter that he has issued a full pardon for his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Flynn was convicted after a special counsel, Robert Mueller's investigation for lying to the FBI. Then the DOJ stepped in. It was really a remarkable turn of events. Uh, Jeremy Diamond, I want to bring you in because, as we know, um, this was expected. The president has long felt like his allies um, got into trouble with the FBI. FBI because of their association with him. We know there have been discussions underway in the White House to pardon Michael Flynn. And now it's happened, according to the president's tweet. Uh, yeah, that's right, Pam. And I think you can expect that this will just be the first of several pardons that the president is likely to issue in the final days and weeks of his presidency. But certainly this is one that has been long discussed inside the White House. The president has been considering for a long time. And now, obviously, that he knows that he will not be president uh, in about 60 days, uh, this is the moment for him to do this. Pardoning uh, national security, former national security advisor Michael Flynn, who was only national security advisor for a few weeks before he was fired for lying to the vice president of the United States about his contacts with the Russians during the, the transition uh, back in 2017. And uh, the, the, were the, those contacts happened in 2016. And then he later pleaded guilty to the FBI uh, in 2017 in relation to those same contacts. Uh, and somehow uh, Michael Flynn ultimately decided to try and retract that guilty plea. The Justice Department also uh, recently intervened uh, and tried to dismiss this case after that guilty plea had already been filed. Uh, and now there is kind of a legal limbo or there has been a legal limbo uh, about whether or not uh, Michael Flynn would ultimately be sentenced by a judge. But now that is all out the window as President Trump announced is that he has issued a full and complete pardon uh, to Michael Flynn, who we should note uh, has been represented most recently by Sidney Powell, uh, that controversial okay. attorney and conspiracy theorist uh, who was on the president's legal team until just last weekend when Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, the president's attorneys, started to distance themselves uh, from her. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, Jeremy, because Sidney Powell had actually asked the president a while back to not pardon her client, Michael Flynn, as this was going through the courts. I think there was some hope that his case would be dropped with DOJ um, intervening on his behalf. And as you point out, just recently, the president, his legal team distanced themselves from Sidney Powell. Now this pardon is happening. We know, Jeremy, after covering this administration for the last several years, that the president likes to exercise his pardon power. Um, he is often talks about it with aides, learning about it. He is even asked if he can pardon himself, pardon his family. It's something that he's very um, interested in. And like you sort of alluded to early on, this could just be the beginning of of, of pardons before um, his term ends, not long from now. We know he's been eyeing other people in his orbit, such as George Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort. 
Uh, that's right. And I think that another name who you have to keep in mind as the president mulls all of these potential pardons is Robert Mueller, uh, because Robert Mueller uh, carried out a lot of these investigations uh, that led to certain convictions or guilty pleas from a number of the president's associates. We know how the president feels about the Mueller investigation. And so obviously, as he is issuing these pardons, certainly as he is issuing the Flynn pardon, uh, he, he likely has the name Robert Mueller in mind as well. This isn't just rewarding his allies, but perhaps also undoing uh, some of the work uh, that uh, resulted from that Mueller investigation, which dogged his presidency uh, for such a long time. Uh, and, and perhaps this is also the president's way uh, of getting back at him for that. Absolutely. It, it is. Jeremy Diamond, thank you so much. Let's go back to Tulu and Jackie uh, for more on all of this. First of all, Tulu, your reaction. Well, it is um, a sign that the president realizes that his days are numbered, his days in office, his ability to have the kind of power that is given to the president to pardon people. Uh, he's going to lose that power very soon, and he's going to use as much of it as possible, even though it's a very controversial pardon to uh, essentially clear the slate of a national security advisor who admitted lied to the FBI. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are more pardons and if there is more punishment. The president also likes to mete out punishment on his enemies. And there are people within his own government that use our enemies, whether it's the FBI director or the CIA director. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more fire president who sees himself with his days uh, sort of running out, lashes out against people who he thinks undermined him during the last four years. Yeah, that is really the key here, Jackie, his days running out. Mm -hmm. This could be the first uh, of many pardons we see from Donald Trump in the weeks ahead. Yeah, is pardoning with dynamite a thing? Because I feel like that uh, that is what we're going to see in the next couple weeks. Um, but Jeremy really hit the nail on the head. Anything that has to do with the Russia investigation, uh, it seems like the president will try to wipe away. He had said, I mean, it, it was it was the witch hunt, and he has said that from the onset of the investigation. Um, with Flynn, I mean, I think the only thing that was surprising about that particular pardon is that um, he waited while the sun was still up. And when you don't really do things the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, <laughs> if uh, you know, the, the, the timing is definitely um, in line with what the president has done in the past too. Um, perhaps when people aren't paying the closest attention to the news, but this is going, this is, this is just the beginning. You're absolutely right. Right. And as we talked about, this is a president to Lou who, look, he's exercising the authority bestowed to him by the constitution. And it's something that he has shown a great interest in um, throughout his, administration. Just put that into context for us as we're just now learning that his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, has been pardoned. As you pointed out, he had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. Um, but in context, what does this show? Uh, well, it shows what we have seen for the past four years, a president who is willing to take very controversial steps and sometimes very ethically questionable steps in using the powers that he has uh, and, and not really following the norms of past president, just really trying to color within the lines of what's legal in, in many cases. And it's very legal. It's, there's nothing um, illegal about pardoning a, a former official who... Guy, but it's not necessarily something that you would have seen from most past presidents, uh, given all of the, the controversy surrounding Michael Flynn, the fact that he was in contact with the Russians before uh, Trump took office, and he is one of the many people in the Trump 
Orbit who had multiple relationships with uh, Russian officials. And it shows that President Trump is still very unhappy that his, uh, his campaign and his election continued to be tainted by the, the Russia story. Um, mm -hmm. He was in part impeached uh, in part due to his his attempt to uh, cover up the Russia story by making uh, these allegations that um, Ukraine Biden were in, in cahoots. So uh, it's pretty clear that this is an issue that has uh, really overwhelmed much of the Trump presidency and it will yeah. much of the days of the Trump presidency as well. Okay, thank you so much to Lou and Jackie. Really appreciate it. Joining me now is former U.S. Assistant, U.S. US Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Ellie Honig. Ellie, great to see you. So let's just, again, set the stage here. Michael Flynn is the president's former national security advisor. Um, the FBI was able to listen to a phone call where he was speaking to the, the um, then ambassador to Russia talking about sanctions during the transition uh, four years ago, of course. Uh, he lied to the he admitted to lying to the FBI about those discussions. He had also lied to other people in the White House about it, including the vice president. He was eventually fired by the president. Fast forward to today and he has now been pardoned by the president. Ellie, put this in perspective for us. Yeah, Pam, so I think we all saw this coming, as Tulu just said, and there's nothing illegal necessarily yeah. about it, but let's not lose sight of just what a wild abuse of power this is by the president. As you just said, Pam, Michael Flynn was convicted of lying to the FBI about his communications with Russia on sensitive issues about four years ago right now during the Trump transition. That is a big deal. And let's remember, important thing here, Michael Flynn was cooperating with Robert Mueller successfully, Robert Mueller said on record that Michael Flynn was providing information on multiple ongoing criminal investigations until he stopped cooperating, which is a very rare thing. I can tell you as a prosecutor, once someone starts cooperating, if they bail out, they do that at their own risk. Unless Michael Flynn knew or believed that he had something coming to him that would save him. Remember, Bill Barr's DOJ tried to bail Michael Flynn out. They tried to pull back that conviction, which was an unprecedented move. And today we see, I think, the natural culmination of this whole process, Donald Trump sort of delivering Michael Flynn what I think he's known has been coming to him for a long time. So just to be clear, do you think that he had been told prior to this you're going to get pardoned and that's why he pulled out of, of cooperating? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, look, what we do know for sure is Michael, uh, Michael Flynn knows and can see Donald Trump's tweets. Donald Trump has been tweeting about this case incessantly, dozens of times, and he has dangled the possibility of a pardon. That was one of Robert Mueller's specific findings in the report that Donald Trump repeatedly in public put out there the possibility of pardoning Michael Flynn and others, by the way. Robert Mueller also talks about how Donald Trump tried the same thing with Michael Cohen, with Paul Manafort, with Roger Stone. So this is part of a pattern. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think I think it's reasonable to conclude. We know Michael Flynn saw those tweets. We know he's a reasonable, rational human being. And Robert Mueller told us that there could absolutely be a connection. And so you're just saying from what's publicly available, it, it's pretty obvious. And, it, you know, it, it's interesting in talking to people within Trump's orbit. They, they say this is, of course, going to happen. I mean, before today, they said th this is our, our biggest expectation is that the president will pardon Michael Flynn. He has always felt like his associates, including um, Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, that those who have been charged in the case, convicted of the Russia probe, that they were unfairly targeted because of their association with him. Do you feel like what we're seeing play out now is sort of a harbinger of what's to come before Trump leaves office? 
Oh, 100%, Pam. And, and you raise such an important point. Let's not let the fact that this all seems inevitable sort of cross over and make it seem like it's okay or normal because it's not normal to see this. And what's really different about the way the president has now really started to use his pardon power, he's already hinted at this with Roger Stone, now with Michael Flynn, it's, it goes to full blast, is he's pardoning and commuting people who A, are his direct political allies, and B, may have been in position to expose wrongdoing by the president and those around him. That's what makes these pardons different in kind from what we've seen from prior presidents of both parties. But we have seen controversial pardons from past presidents, right? Bill Clinton, for example. Tell us about that. Just put this into context with uh, former presidents like Bill Clinton. Yeah, no question about it. We've seen some dubious pardons in the past. Bill Clinton, I think, maybe towards the top of that list. On his very last day in office, President Clinton pardoned his own half-brother, Roger Clinton, and a man named Mark Rich, who was a fugitive then on federal charges, a billionaire fugitive, that in fact, the Department of Justice, my old office, the Southern District of New York, ended up investigating that for potential bribery. They did not end up bringing charges. Donald Trump has actually used his pardon power quite a bit less frequently than his predecessors. He's issued, I think this makes 39 pardons during his time in office. George W. Bush issued about 200 in twice the time in office, and Barack Obama issued about 1,900 in also twice the time in office, most of those to nonviolent drug offenders serving life or very long sentences. So there certainly have been dubious pardons before, but I think when you look at President Trump, the majority of his, a stunning percentage of his, has gone to his personal acquaintances, to celebrity causes, to right-wing sort of political commentators, heroes, martyrs, whatever you want to call the Dinesh D'Souza's of the world. And now I think most distressingly to those people who are his direct political allies and to those people who may have been co-op, were cooperating in Michael Flynn's case with the federal government. All right, Ellie Honig, thanks so much for putting it in that legal perspective for us. Thanks for your time. Yeah. We appreciate it. We have more coverage of our breaking news. President Trump giving a full pardon to his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Who else could be on the president's pardon list? And an ER doctor now saying he is sick of hearing the lame excuses, his plea to just wash your hands, stay home, wear a mask, and stop the death and misery. We're back with our breaking news. President Trump has just announced a full pardon for his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Flynn pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russia before reversing course and trying to have his case thrown out. We're going to have some more coverage of that in just moments. But let's turn to our health lead now. Take just a second right now to digest the staggering new numbers from the pandemic. 2,100 people died right here in this country in one day. That was Tuesday. Only the second time we have had more than 2,000 reported deaths in a day since May. Things are trending the wrong direction. Doctors are warning Thanksgiving could be the mother of all super spreader events, as CNN's Athena Jones reports. A Thanksgiving like no other. Coronavirus infections skyrocketing nearly everywhere. Tuesday marking the deadliest day since early May. More than 2,100 lives lost to the virus. Nearly 90,000 people set to spend the holiday in a hospital bed as the U.S. sets a record for hospitalizations for the 15th day in a row. And with millions of people ignoring CDC guidance and flying home to celebrate with family, experts warn Thanksgiving dinners could serve up another huge spike in infections. It's the uh, potentially the mother of all super spreader events. The COVID-19 test positivity rate nationwide is hovering around 10 percent. 
And the situation is even worse in some places, adding to the danger. What we don't want to see is yet another surge superposed upon the surge that you just described, which we'll realize three, three and a half weeks from now if we don't do these public health things. A doctor in St. Louis recording this video to drive home the point. I hope that the last moments of your life don't look like this. I promise you, this is what your mother or your father or your children, when they get COVID disease, will see at the end of their life. Some states already on the verge of buckling under the pressure. One out of 41 Coloradans are contagious right now. It is the most highest percentage of contagious Coloradans that we've ever had. Colorado officials fear on its current trajectory, the state will more than double its death toll by the end of the year. California reported nearly 17,000 new cases Tuesday, its highest single-day total ever. Hospitalizations have nearly doubled in the last two weeks in Los Angeles County, where officials reported the highest number of COVID-related deaths in more than two months and warn it's likely to get worse. Statewide, I don't believe we've ever seen as many hospital admissions uh, increased like we did just in the past 24 hours. And I hope but don't expect that it will be the highest we ever have. A ban on outdoor dining goes into effect in the county tonight, and the health department is urging residents to leave home only for essential needs. More restrictions now likely in New York City. After months of low case numbers, hospitalization rates in the state have increased 128 percent over the last three weeks, according to Governor Andrew Cuomo. And to put this all in perspective, Tuesday was the 22nd day in a row the U.S. reported more than 100,000 new COVID-19 cases. In this case, it was more than 172,000. And we just learned a short time ago that California set a record for new cases for the second straight day, reporting more than 18,000 cases on Wednesday. Pamela? That is sobering. Thank you so much, Athena. Joining me now to discuss this is the dean of Brown University School of Public Health, Dr. Ashish Jha. All right, so let's just take a step back and look at the latest COVID numbers. 173,000 new cases, more than 2,100 COVID deaths, and more than 88,000 hospitalizations. That is a new record. This is all the day before Thanksgiving. If you would, Dr. Jha, what is the story behind these numbers that I just laid out? I think we're having a hard time connecting. Dr. Jha? Sorry. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm back. Sorry. Can you hear me? I'm not sure if you heard my question, but basically when you look at the numbers, what is the story that these numbers tell? Yeah. Sorry. Again, apologies for that. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, the story that it tells is that we're in the middle of a pretty tough time of the pandemic. Probably the darkest days of the pandemic are the, are the next six to eight weeks ahead of us. And I fully expect that the numbers will climb well above 200,000 infections a day. Uh, we're going to have more than 100,000 people hospitalized. And you're going to see the strains on hospitals across the country, uh, even without the Thanksgiving surge. And I am worried that Thanksgiving is going to make things worse. And just to be clear, this isn't because the, the virus has mutated or something changed with the virus. This is because people have changed their behaviors, right? This is why we're seeing the upward trend. Yeah, so the, the upward trend really began right after Labor Day. You started seeing increases in cases. And I think there are two or three things happening. Definitely no evidence of mutations. I think the colder weather in the northern half of the country really is making a difference. And then I also think people have just been tired of, of, of changing behavior. 
and policymakers have been slow to close bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of all of those things that have gotten us to the place we are in. And let's talk about the President-elect Biden. He talked about these challenges. He said he's going to listen to public health experts, prioritize testing and tracing, provide PPE for, uh, for all, establish a global approach to distributing a vaccine and protect high-risk Americans. That all sounds good and well, but realistically, what can he actually do on day one to change things? Well, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think certainly getting a good team in place, which he has so far, is going to be very helpful. Uh, I think what he can start doing now is start signaling to the marketplace uh, that there really will be uh, a federal government engaged in buying up more tests, buying up more personal protective equipment. Uh, I think that'll help. But ultimately, his biggest impact is going to come once he is actually in office and can start implementing these policies. Uh, I think we need those policies implemented right now to try to get this virus under control. All right, Dr. Hashish Shah, thank you so much. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you, you too. And breaking news, President Trump has issued a full pardon to his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Why this could be just the first of many pardons in the next few weeks. back with breaking news. President Trump moments ago announced a full pardon for his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. The president tweeted, it is my great honor to announce that General Michael T. Flynn has been granted a full pardon. Congratulations to General Flynn and his wonderful family. I know you will now have a truly fantastic Thanksgiving. Joining me now is John Dean, former White House counsel to Richard Nixon and former federal prosecutor Laura Coates. Thank you both for coming on to talk about this, John. First to you. Uh, look, my sources tell me that this is something the president has long wanted to do. We've known this was under discussion at the White House in recent days. What is your reaction now that it's official? Well, I'm not surprised. I think he's had it on his mind since he lined up the turkey yesterday and he uh Maybe this is another turkey in the eyes of some. But he, he has obviously been concerned about Flynn for a long time. He's leaned on the Department of Justice uh, in unusual ways. The department has been on all sides of this case, both prosecuting it and then withdrawing a prosecution. It's a very unusual case. I think Flynn knows an awful lot that Mr. Trump doesn't want him talking about. And that would hmm. suggest why he has come through before Thanksgiving. What do you think? Do you think this signals there there is more to the story than Laura? Absolutely. I think I mean, there I is think more that there to this is story. some Oh sorry, Laura, and then we'll come back to you, John. Sure. No, I'd love to hear from John Dean on this issue ahead, in particular. Laura. But, you know, I think it does suggest more in terms of um, what he the reason and perhaps his motivation for deciding to not be fully cooperative, as was alluded to in the last segment about this episode. You know, the notion here that Michael Flynn just on his own accord and without any sort of guidance anywhere, just decided that he was going to retract guilty pleas and go forward might be very um, farcical for people to do. We have no evidence to suggest that President Trump, in fact, actually put his thumb on the scale, but he tweeted. It was very well known what he expected. He was very, very clear about his absolute ability to pardon and about his treat his views on the treatment of Michael Flynn from day one. He was very clear about this being a part of the witch hunt. And of course, he'd even praised up until recently the attorney for Michael Flynn for suggesting just that very notion. So I think 
think that he the writing was on the wall for Michael Flynn to believe that there was some reason for him to say that, look, I'm digging in my heels, and not the least of which were the statements by the president about a so-called deep state in the Department of Justice, whereby he was wrapped up into some grand conspiracy of a witch hunt. That was one of the leading things that Michael Flynn tried to speak about in accordance with the president's own tweets and statements all across the country and all across the airwaves. Right. I mean, you really laid out how this case has taken so many twists and turns uh, from the very beginning. And we're also just learning that Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, he just tweeted, congratulations to General Flynn, a well-deserved day for an American patriot. What's the, what the left did to him and his family these last four years must never be allowed to happen again in America. John Dean, your take. <laughs> well, it was it was uh, his he was fired by Trump originally for lying to the vice president. Uh, he was prosecuted for lying to the, to the FBI. And it's he admitted it. He admitted lie, to lying the to the FBI. Part, he admitted twice to lying to the FBI as well as to the vice president. So the lie isn't going to go away. Uh, what they're trying to erase is the criminal prosecution and the conviction. And they'll successfully do that with a pardon, mm -hmm. although the history of the event will always be there. And um, I just want to go to, go ahead, Laura. I was going to say, you know, I, I, it must be said, we're talking about the president of the United States, who's the head of the executive branch of government, whose job it is to enforce the laws of the land. And what's being said right now is a congratulations for somebody who tried to undermine the actual investigatory process that was undertaken by members of the executive branch of government, has lied and committed perjurious statements. We're congratulating this behavior. For, for what reason and what message does that send, not to people who can rub the elbows of the president of the United States, whoever that might be, but the idea that if you lie, you should be rewarded. If you plead guilty, it can go away as long as the president has a sympathetic ear towards you because you're in an inner circle. What about all of the hundreds of thousands of defendants who right now are looking at this and saying, can I raise my hand right now? Because I think I should have an opportunity the same way. There is a standard that we set in the federal government and prosecutions. And to have it congratulated at this wide level is really just uh, hurting the morale of prosecutors whose job it is to prosecute these cases with their held, head held high, believing that the president of the United States, at the very least, is behind him. And we're starting to her. see a bit of a, a pattern to emerge here, John, because as we know, the president has previously commuted uh, the sentence for Roger Stone, another ally of the president who was uh, sentenced in the Russia probe. And um, But at the same time, look, he is exercising the authority granted to him him by the Constitution here, right? He is indeed. It's rather sweeping authority. There's no question about it. Uh, but he's actually gone up to the edge where the propriety is raised. His first, his first pardon of Joe Opio was for contempt of court. And that's very unusual for a, for a president to reach into a judicial proceeding where it was the judge exercising his police powers over his court uh, when Opio had misbehaved in court uh, and and erased that. So this this is not a uh, a norm for most presidents, and I suspect that uh, while there's very little the Congress can do to put any restrictions on the p pardon power, I think they're going to look at it awfully closely as to the process. Uh, that's involved. But what would you say, John, to Trump allies who would come back to you and say, well, look at what past presidents have done. Look at what President Clinton did with his pardon power. How is this different? What would you say to them? 
Well, uh, you know, for example, I think there were about 15 or 1,600 pardons that were done by Ob his immediate predecessor, Obama. And they were all carefully processed through the Department of Justice, through the pardon attorney. Uh, the, there were some controversial Clinton uh, pardons, and they were done and they were investigated by Congress, which thought there was some quid pro quo for Clinton's library, only to find out they were dead wrong, that Clinton had actually told the truth, that the prime minister of Israel had put pressure on him to uh, to issue a pardon, and that turned out to be correct. So it's a delicate area. It's one of the few areas where president's powers are, there's just almost nothing anybody can do or say about them. And this will come up, of course, in the context of a self-pardon, which I'm mm -hmm. sure Mr. Trump is seriously considering right now. What do you think about that, Laura? Uh, I know sources have told me that it's something that he's asked about. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do it. But this idea of a self-pardon, as John just raised. Well, the Constitution does not explicitly and expressly prohibit it. It's quite clear that the pardoning power is absolute, except in the context of impeachment. But if you look at the idea of how the Department of Justice normally operates, you're not allowed to sit as a judge in one's own case, which would essentially be the president exercising that level of judgment and oversight over a case prospectively with charges involving himself. And so, but the, the question here is, for the last four years, we've been in a lot of uncharted territory where we looked at the wall. It says, in case of emergency break, glass to find there's nothing behind it. Because guess what, Pam? No one's ever tried to self-pardon oneself as the president of the United States. And so this, if he were to attempt to do so, would most assuredly go up to the Supreme Court who have to wrestle with the parameters of what a president could truly do. And remember, a pardon is not actually supposed to be a get-out-of-jail-free card for any future mm -hmm. conduct for the rest of your life. It's supposed to be limited in scope to conduct that's occurred while you had the presidential power for a fixed moment in time. For example, Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon for the time while he was the president of the United States, not for anything in perpetuity. So mm -hmm. we're looking at essentially a Supreme Court, most of which he's already nominated and confirmed, who would ultimately decide whether President Trump could do it. Right. And, and I just want to go back to this and then we'll go back to Flynn. But but the sources I've spoken to close to the president, John, they bat down the idea he would ever issue a self-pardon because it would be essentially admitting wrongdoing, admitting um, criminal wrongdoing in their view. And the president would never want to do that. Do you really think he, he would? Well, that's that's a good question. He might, as an insurance policy, want to stick one in his pocket and not announce that he'd he had done it, uh, a self-pardon. But there's no question a, a pardon is, an, is, to accept a pardon is to acknowledge guilt. There is a Supreme Court case on that. In fact, Gerald Ford, after he pardoned Nixon, carried a little slip of paper with a quote from the relevant Supreme Court ruling that he could pull out when anybody asked him why he was giving uh, Nixon this pass. And he said, well, Nixon admitted guilt when he accepted the pardon, hmm. uh, which is true. So that's what that's Trump is worried about. That's why he wouldn't announce it. But if he were ever indicted, uh, that's his that's his check. That's his ability to say, hey, you can't you can't prosecute me because I have self pardoned. Then we'd litigate that issue for probably uh, several years. So you're saying essentially in the dark of night, he could pardon himself. No one would 
no one would know. Is that what you're saying? And of course, this is speculative. He could do but, that. Okay. He, he, okay. He does not have to announce it. Does okay. not have to announce. Again, it. I want to be clear. This is all speculative. We have no indication he is going to do this. But you're right um, in that this is something as as he sees the final weeks ahead of him, Laura Coates. This is something that he clearly wants to flex his muscle on. The 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 power of the pardon that he has every right to do. What do you think is to come? Do you think this is just the the first of many to come, uh, starting with Michael Flynn here? I, I do. I think there'll be several others. If the theme here is that he's hoping to pardon all those who he feels have been engulfed in this witch hunt conspiracy that he felt arose from the Mueller report, I suspect you have other people who are involved, not to mention there are other cases where you have close associates. For example, Rudy Giuliani, who was investigated with SDNY for his um, dealing with, with Lev Parnas and the like. You've got discussions about the Trump organization, um, family members who may be investigated, wire fraud issues, or maybe tax evasion related issues. Remember that New York Times reported about the amount of money he wrote off and whether it was going as a effective write-off to somebody who was a consultant or not, and that being his daughter, according to reporting. But these are all speculative, Pam. But I think the number one thing to keep in mind is a lot of the things that are on the horizon for a non-sitting president, that is Donald Trump, does not just include federal prosecutions, which the pardon power only relates to. Mm-hmm. You've got state-level issues as well here, state-level litigation in cases to which even if he dreams wholeheartedly of pardoning all those. The Constitution does not provide for those, and they still have power at the state level that could overshadow even a presidential pardon. All right, Laura Coates, Jean Dean, thank you for that robust discussion on this breaking news. We appreciate it. And we have much more ahead. President Trump's first pardon since losing the election. His former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who could be next on the president's list? Well, this year has highlighted how many people are struggling. But thankfully, Lisa Ling is bringing us some inspiring stories. We could all use that, right? On the Sunday's premiere of This Is Life, we're going to learn about an unconventional bond between a group of prep school students and maximum security prisoners. I bet you every man in blue here has been told the same thing. Be a man, be a man, be a man. We're taught this through so much multi- Generational dysfunction. My dad beat into me not to cry. Grown man hitting a kid. Violence was the answer to everything at that time. So I look at the youth, and I'm like, you guys should not be learning that kind of lesson. You guys don't need that. It took coming to prison for me to understand a man is loving, a man is understanding. A man treasures his family and friends. A man is selfless. These are the things that you should be taught. We work. So now I teach them to you today. And joining us now is the host of This Is Life, Lisa Ling. Uh, great to see you, Lisa. We should note this was filmed before the pandemic, hence the, the lack of masks and social distancing we just saw there in the video. But clearly the boys from Palma Prep School have never been to high security prison before. What was it like for them? Were they nervous? Well, certainly the ones who are going and starting the program for the first time. It's a program that's been in existence for six years. It's an elective at the Palma School. And the boys will go into the CTF prison in Soledad for eight weeks, and they will read a novel together. And you would think that the prisoners would really be the the, the biggest beneficiaries of the program because they have these very educated young men coming in and reading with them. But what I found... Um, was that the the young men from the Palma School, and these are elite prep school boys, 
um, really, really were so moved and, and transformed by the experience. I mean, you saw that clip of Raul, who was so candidly sharing about his life. Uh, the men in this program are so remorseful, uh, but they're also so kind of evolved about their emotions and the trauma that they experienced as young young boys and how it affected the rest of their lives. And by sharing that kind of candor with these prep school boys, it gave these young men permission to feel themselves. And we are always telling young men, be a man, man up, mm -hmm. don't show feelings, don't cry. And it was incredible the kinds of things that the, the prep school boys started to share, things that some of their the, the, their fellow students who had known them their whole lives had never known about them. So it was an incredible experience. It's so so fascinating and so true that that young men are taught, you know, at a very young age that basically they can experience the full spectrum of human emotion. And so that really I'm sure was eye-opening for them to hear them talk about talk about the every book is an engine for empathy uh, that the boys teacher said. Yeah, so so this is what the program is about. Uh, you know, the, the the teacher Jim McAletty says that literature is is interpreted differently depending on who is reading it. And I have to tell you this one story. The reason why I felt compelled to tell this story is because a couple of years ago, some of the incarcerated men were reading a book called Through the Valley of Quay, and they decided to start a scholarship. Uh, to benefit a young man who might otherwise not be able to afford a prep school education at the Palma School. Mm -hmm. And so these inmates raise about eight raise about eight cents an hour and they raise $30,000. And a young man last year graduated, having had almost his entire education paid for by inmates. All right. Thank you so much. We're out of time. Lisa Ling, can't wait to see it. And our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. On this season of The Plot Thickens, we're exploring the world of renegade movie director John Ford. Ford was a living legend, a cinematic giant, and also a notorious egomaniac who could unload on actors. You'll hear from the best of them, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, even Ricardo Montalban. Find out how Ford's legacy survives his personal demons. The Plot Thickens, Decoding John Ford, hosted by me, Ben Mankiewicz. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.